0: Welcome back to the Mad Podcast, a series of conversations with leaders from across the machine learning, AI, and data landscape with your host, Matt Turk, partner at FirstMark Capital. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Ori Goshen, co founder and co CEO of AI21 Labs, for a conversation about AI21's origin story, their differentiated approach to AI, and their ambitious platform and applications. As always, if you're enjoying the MadPod, don't forget to leave us a rating, a comment, and subscribe. And we are back every Wednesday with brand new episodes. And now, here are Ori and Matt Turk.
1: So I thought a fun place to start would be to talk about the, the big recent news on the funding front. So you uh, just raised a Series C uh, that uh, with with um, a bunch of firms like uh, Pitango, Walden Catalyst, uh, valuing the company at the 1.4 billion, I, I believe. So uh, could you maybe talk to this and take us behind the scenes about how the round came together?
2: Yeah. So uh, first of all, you know, it's... Um, it's it's a real honor and um, you know we really appreciate the the vote of confidence uh i mean the ai space is is obviously hot today but it's still um you know not not an easy funding environment environment for funding these days um so we don't take it lightly And with that said there was um such an uh, incredible Interest in the company and um, and and I'll I'll speak about AI twenty one later. But it's just a very unique company uh, in this space. Not just uh, working on you know deep technology, but have uh, end user facing applications and a platform that serves enterprises. So I think investors um, looked at uh, you know AI twenty one. And definitely saw an opportunity to uh, to have um, a substantial player in, the, in this in this space. <clears throat> and um, so, in the, the dynamics of the round, um, I mean, Pitango and Walden Catalyst were just great investors and partners from from the early days of the company. And um, and then uh, we've we've uh, kind of assembled. Few more financial investors that joined around, and um, um, uh, also um, a couple of uh, strategic investors, um, particularly Google and Nvidia, um, that also joined around. Um, you know, as, as strategic investors, and uh, the the idea behind this uh, is not just uh, investing in the company, but actually forming strategic partnerships with both, with both of these companies. Um,
1: how, how so important? That... How important is uh, fundraising strategy? Do you think at this moment in the generative AI market, uh, uh, obviously headlines have been dominated by like massive fundraisers, and this is certainly a, a, a very large one. But is that is a little bit of like whoever raises the most wins because you need to spend money on GPUs and and and, and attract super expensive talent? Like, how do you think about it?
2: Yeah, I think. Um... <laughs> One should think about it strategically. Um, um, you know, there's there's a lot of excitement. And I think the excitement is for a reason. Uh, what we're experiencing right now, it's, it's just a, a huge platform. It's a huge technology shift. Uh, so it's going to have impact and it's going to have, um, you know, economical gains. Uh, but I think uh, also... We should be. I mean, we as company leaders, we should be responsible and think: How do we grow the company healthily, and um, and and build business around it? Like we build technologies that are you know transformative, but we also build businesses, and we need to constantly calibrate uh, the, the progress of the uh, business side uh, to the valuations and to the amounts that we raise. Because each step in this road, you know, just creates um, an expectation for the next step. So I think, um, again, as 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 uh, 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 young companies in this space, young like I mean, relatively to the incumbents, um, uh, we should be very responsible here and think about how we grow these companies. And uh, in terms of GPUs and compute resources. And I'll speak about it later. I think there's there's a more um, practical approach. Um, I mean, we can you know build these massive models that are uh, very very generalizable and can do many things. But uh, we can also be uh, more thoughtful about how do we train even the largest models. But we also can uh, be very thoughtful about how we deploy these capabilities in production and how we kind of make smaller models are much more economical and and are optimized for uh use cases that the market is actually ready for and um and that kind of aligns with the 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 philosophy of how do we grow the business gradually how do we kind of uh um uh, fit the technology and its capabilities and its cost where the market is and uh, and and what's a, what's you know the level of maturity, <clears throat> um, so I think uh, it's not a I don't think it's a healthy way to think about it. Is the uh, you you'd win if you raise more? I think it's uh, uh you'd probably want to um uh, deploy the capital very smartly and and make sure you are uh, uh, capturing you know market enough market and. Uh, in, and in the early days so uh you could be a substantial player longer term
1: okay very very good all right so that's that's the most recent news that you announced uh maybe a couple a couple, couple of weeks ago so congrats on that again um Thank you. i, wa- I want to go back now to the o- other end of the spectrum like the very beginning of the company so i was I, I, I as i was prepping for this actually uh read that the company started in 2017 which for for the world of NLP was was a big year, uh, but you were very much at the beginning of that, of that big NLP wave. So like, how did it all come about?
2: Sure. So uh, it all started, uh, so we started a company, uh, Yoav and myself. Um, I had a technical background. Um, this was my uh, second company. The first one was an analytics company uh, in the networking space that was basically acquired by another Israeli company called Cellwise that, uh, was eventually acquired by Qualcomm. And, um, and I, I was 2017. Um, I was extremely curious about, uh, AI didn't have any background in AI, but I was, I was very curious about this space and actually I had a few ideas. (laughs) Um, and, um, a kind of randomly uh it's an interesting story by itself but i met uh yoav who's uh, my partner and um and you his background he was a professor at stanford for almost uh, 30 years um, he ran the ai lab and and actually started this is his fifth company and um, and and uh, all of his previous uh, companies were acquired and when um, when his last company uh, acquired in 2015, they decided the whole family to move back to Israel, and and that's how we met, and um, and we joined forces to start A21, and uh, shortly after, uh, Amnon Shashua joined us as the third co-founder. Um, it is a matter is of mobile eye, right? Exactly, and and Amnon is known for being the founder and CEO of Mobileye, the autonomous driving company. And we actually we we all started the company around this uh, very grand vision of, or at least an observation of where you know where AI is heading from uh, uh, an historical perspective, Uh, because back then in 2017, and actually more even more so today. Um, AI was all about deep learning. Uh, it's almost a synonym, um, and we believe, and we still believe, um, that you know, deep learning is is amazing. And um, uh, with that said, it's it's necessary but not sufficient uh, component. And if you truly want to realize that vision of having these very smart assistants that help us make. Um, you know, decisions and helps us in our daily routines. Like, you know, we, we imagine the uh, a virtual assistant for finance or a virtual assistant for legal uh, or virtual assistant for medical advice, uh, then we really need the level of reliability. We can't just use statistics. Um uh it has to deal with some problems that are more deterministic by nature, and these problems that uh, uh, were basically solved or or were uh, dealt with back in the eighties, where AI was mostly about symbolic um, and expert systems. And we said that the that, that the true next step of AI is actually how do we merge these two approaches together? Uh, and and these days it's called uh, neurosymbolic AI. And so we started the company because we said, hey. The future is going to be neurosymbolic. We want to uh, build a company around it, and along the way, we want to co- find smart ways to commercialize the technology, and um, and, and you know and, and basically uh, provide values for individuals and, and companies along the way, with the understanding that that we really want to move, move the needle here in terms of um, our, our, of the technology.
1: Okay, very good. So, fast forward to today. Um, I'd, I'd love to uh, spend a good amount of time talking about, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the several products that you offer. So, uh, as a high-level tour, my understanding—and stop me, stop me—that's not, me not correct—is that this you can think of the business as three different components, obviously all interrelated.
2: When you look at A21 as a whole, there are really three components, as you mentioned. One is the um, uh, um, core technology um, foundational models and the systems that we build. And then we have two product lines. One is um, applications that we build ourselves and uh, uh, deliver to end users, uh, applications that help people better read and write and and uh and the second one is an api platform for developers and for um enterprise um that helps them kind of uh take these models and systems and embed these capabilities within their workflows and applications so these are this is the three-headed beast the core technology the applications and the platform play and uh going back to the neurosymbolic piece i mean yeah, I mean, the so the, the the ultimate goal is how do we make these systems um, to actually reason, and there, there there are several weaknesses. You know, there's the I think the most common and the ones that people mostly speak about, which is hallucinations that these models uh, tend to uh, make up stuff, and I think this is just. One area of weakness, uh, I think, sometimes when you want to prompt the model, you want to use these models to to uh, to to get it to a conclusion. You want it to reason. You want it to maybe combine several pieces of information, or um, uh, kind of uh, uh, tell, give you an answer based on different, you know, data pieces. Then you see it falls short. Um, it's just it, it miserably fails uh, in many cases, and that's that's um, just a showcase that these models are, are not good at uh, at reasoning. <coughs> um, you know, at least not you know reliably uh, the way we would expect them. And um, and there was, there are other components. Um, like planning, some of our thinking or our thought process is not done by just, you know, uh, you can think about it as, as a single turn. Um, sometimes we process things and we decompose them and, and we uh, run some sort of a plan uh, to execute and solve the problem. And, you know, these models are obviously not designed for, for that type of um, uh, activity. And, and um so there's these core fundamental issues that that needs to be solved. And um I, I think uh we've made a lot of we as an industry made a lot of progress of making these uh very powerful models that, that are uh, useful, they cross kind of a usefulness uh threshold. But now um I think this is the time and um I believe ourselves and many others in the industry will start to <clears throat> compose these models in various ways. And this will probably be a shift since we'll, in two years from now, I guess we won't be excited and we won't be speaking about large language models. We'll be speaking about AI systems that use maybe several language models and um, and they um, orchestrate this um, um, solution, uh, problem solution, uh, in such a way that is um, more reliable and uh, more deterministic. and uh, And we'll we'll see, and uh, uh, we as A21 will have very exciting announcements uh, this year about uh, about this uh, kind of general direction.
1: It's 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 a fascinating topic, um, and I you know I believe there was like there's been like this whole debate between me Lacan and yeah. uh, Gary Marcus uh, on potentially the, the advantages and drawbacks of departing and how to combine them with other things. and I think there was like this whole like research track of like uh, Josh Tannenbaum at MIT as well around uh, this. Um, but the, the, the so the, the layman's view uh, fr- fr- from my perspective is like uh, I heard like one of the key difficulty was um how do you actually combine those two things and and know when to give priority to one versus the other. Uh, and the early results of some of the people I heard had tried was um in 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 fact uh you, you still got better results with just like super powerful deep learning. Uh even when you tried to build in the 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 stuff in other words the hybrid system performed uh not as not as well as the just the pure deep learning. Um, I guess what what do you say to 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 that to the extent you can talk about um,
2: any any of this? Yeah, to be to be modest here, I think the jury is still out, but um, uh, I have a sense uh, that if you truly want to deal with the uh, long tail and the problems in life like and if you deal, want to deal with natural language uh, robustly, the long tail is extremely long and diverse. And, um, and, and my sense is that, uh, the way to move forward, to make the way to make these systems more reliable and, and tra- tra- transparent in a way is, is not going to be by creating a more powerful model, like, you know, more parameters or, um, tweak the data. And I mean, there's definitely kind of performance gains that you can keep on squeezing, but, uh, it will eventually fall off the cliff and will face the same the same fundamental problems we're facing uh, with, with the strong models today. and we are already start seeing diminishing returns. I mean you take the architecture you you um, increase the size of the models or and, and you see that um, at these levels of scale we're you know we're dealing with uh, things, Diminishing returns. We start. We start seeing it. So, I think it's a. Um, it shows that um, in order to fundamentally resolve the problem, there is, there needs to be kind of uh, we need to take a different approach. I think there there were actually quite recently uh, success cases where the hybrid systems uh, actually reached better results uh, from the kind of you know end to end. Uh, types of um, types of systems um but again uh we'll, we'll we'll see um I think it's it's also there is another aspect uh, to it I think we need to take we need to be um somewhat pragmatic and um also consider the economical um considerations here like taking a huge model and serving it at scale, it's costly and it's so inefficient. and um, and even with the pace of you know hardware progress and advancements these days, I, 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 I still don't see it as a practical way to move forward. So I think this is also an, an important consideration.
1: Yeah, this is really a, a super interesting uh, discussion. You know, the the as I was uh, prepping for this and listening to different things and reading different things, I I, I don't know to which extent people truly appreciate that uh, yet about um, a one twenty uh, AI twenty one. Uh, and and people are, I think tend to lump you guys into the oh well that's a direct competitor to OpenAI and Anthropic and, uh, and 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 whoever which is probably true from a business standpoint but the approach from a technical standpoint is actually very differentiated because as far as I know all those other players are going for let's let's build the bigger ever bigger and also more efficient but bigger. Uh, uh, large language models so very interesting. Okay, thanks for sharing. So, how does that um, translate into this 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 family of models? So I read you have uh, 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 Jurassic, which is now Jurassic Two, and I think you had multiple models, but like you down to three. Maybe talk about about that.
2: Sure. So we have Jurassic Two is our family of general purpose language models, um, constantly improving um almost on um, on a uh, weekly and sometimes monthly basis and um it's um you know instruction following chat supporting um language models and um you know these are in direct competition with the uh, other mo- models in the in the space uh like you know open ais and tropics and they have some advantages i mean um some use cases are um they better 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 support uh one of our uh, you know uh, late, uh, one of the latest study, latest studies that were done by aws show that actually our models are top performing at uh, rag at uh, retrieval augmented generation um, and and so we're and this is a very common, typical use case in the enterprise. So even for our general purpose language models, we're trying to steer them in directions that be helpful or useful for our uh, customers. And the the light, mid, and ultra just kind of um, it's a trade off between the size of the models and um, and their uh, their performance under various tasks and costs, basically. And, yep. And then cost and latency. That's one side of the equation. And the other side is size and uh quality, basically. Yep. And so, so uh, all of those are
1: proprietary models and, and you serve them, right? So so yeah. okay. So the use case is I'm a developer in an enterprise and I want to have access to the actual model itself. I just call it um. Yeah. And then the, so just to play back what what, uh, you just said, uh, depending on my needs, uh, so how do do I know which one to use? I mean, obviously the parameters around latency and price, but um, are there certain tasks where I I know I'm gonna need the bigger one versus the small one?
2: Yeah, I guess uh, typically, um, a light is great at kind of sort of extractive or classification tasks. And mid is for um, uh, short form generation or um, uh, rag type of use cases. And um, ultra is one that um, is very good at, you know, longer form generation, keeping, taking long context and kind of referring them and, having the, you know, the, the ability to attend to, um, uh, more information and be, uh, c- consistently, um, a- 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 co- cohesive with, um, <clears throat> so, and, and I think basically people should try. I mean, when they have the use case, my, my first recommendation to customers is put, um, even on a small scale, make, a do your best effort to create an evaluation set that represent the, the problem or the distribution of the problem you're trying to solve. Once you have that in place, uh, you can get a sense for our models and also other models in the market and, and, and see what works best uh, best for you. Um, another, another thing I should mention is that we're taking a very neutral approach. So we're um, delivering our models in many different ways, so we're we're working uh, with uh, we have our SaaS platform that is is actually multi-cloud, and we also serve our uh, models through various types of integrations. So uh, with with Google Cloud, you can basically consume our models through the marketplace, and in the future through Vertex and and, and um, And in AWS, we offer our uh, model through StageMaker for customers who'd like to deploy these models that are inside their VPCs and also uh, in Bedrock. Um, So we offer this optionality. And um, I think this is is actually an area, I was surprised how much customers care about um, having the uh, portability and capability of um, working with a single vendor that can run under uh, different uh, cloud, but not only cloud, uh, other environments as well. And um, we just announced a few months ago our partnership with uh, Snowflake and um, there will be others. And I think that creates, um, once your LLMs are integrated within a wide set of um you know ecosystem partners i think that that creates a huge uh advantage for many many customers who are taking this uh consideration
1: great great all right so that's the the foundation models part um let, let's talk about the the i guess the f- the first category of application the the, the task specific model so just um Again, reviewing my notes. Uh, you talk about text editors, retail software, knowledge and support platforms, content management systems. So those are our, our discrete business applications. So how does that how does that um how does that work? And uh I mean, presumably they, they they're fed by Jurassic 2 models underneath, maybe just go through how it all works.
2: Yeah, so we're, we're you know, the market has just shifted from um sporadic exploration to massive experimentation in the last nine months and uh, we've you know we, le- we learned a lot from the market and what we what we saw is that 95 percent of the use cases in the enterprise are actually uh, pretty specific I mean there's barely areas where you'd want an open-ended chat system that can um, uh, you know that can address any query that you have in mind, and and be that generalized. Most enterprise, when you think about how to incorporate this in a workflow, how to incorporate this in an application, they they have a much narrower use case in mind. Very powerful, very valuable, but but narrower. Um, and and then we came to the conclusion that this is maybe using the general purpose model as is, it may be an overkill. And uh, we, we should take a different approach. And and we, and we think about it as a matrix. You have the tasks as the columns and the um, the industries or domains as uh, rows. And then you have like summarization of financial reports or um, text generation. We have certain types of constraints in the retail industry for producing uh, product descriptions, right, so you have these Lego blocks that each piece is really good at a particular task. And it's also a customizable piece. It's not kind of a a closed box. You can then uh, customize it to a certain, you know, stylistic guidelines or other knowledge that that these models needs to incorporate. Um, But the thing is, technically, we don't deliver these as just models that we fine-tune them on specific data. I think that's a very simplistic approach. Uh, we actually wrap these models into systems that really take care of the reliability part. So when they uh, generate a result, um, there's a whole, you know, verification process, and there's also verification for the input. So you cannot just prompt engineer it the way. Uh, you do with a general-purpose model. You 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 the, the system expect a certain type of input, and and then it it also the system expect like the the customer expects a certain type of output. So you can uh, have um, a verification components in place, and that creates a very powerful. I mean, it's really from testings we've made. Uh, this test-specific uh, approach just wins every general purpose model when you test it in, you know, a specific setting. Um, and we also find it as a, as a very effective way to the market, just uh, just because also customers understand it better. Uh, it's something that is, you can think about the large language model as an, a raw engine, but then these uh, Lego blocks as systems, as, as cars, right? They're much closer to... Uh, a ready solution that customers can actually start embedding within their their system so we're we're, we're seeing a lot of interest around um around this approach and um and, and, and we'll see I mean we'll, we'll, we'll have to see where the market is uh uh is heading I think that the the opportunity is just huge I don't think it's you know it's a mar- it's a I don't think it's a a winner take all kind of market. And I don't think it's a single approach that will be a winner here. I think uh, different approaches will be, uh, will will work for different types of buyers. Um, And it's sort of maybe as an analogy, and I know a lot of people give this analogy, it's it's sort of what happens with the, um, you know, database world. Um, Not a single vendor and, and not a single approach, I guess.
1: And, uh what, what's the third part then Let, let's talk about uh, contextual answers and uh, what what those do
2: So contextual answer is actually one of our task specific uh models.
1: Okay so that falls in the second bucket.
2: Yes, exactly okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, maybe if, maybe if just I...
1: describe what it is and then we'll jump into that third bucket.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's a module that, and again, it's a system. It's not just a large language. Model. It's a system that is optimized for question answering. So you have a, let's say, you have a large corpus of documents or large repository of documents or even structure or semi-structured data and you want to query these. Uh, if you want to implement it by yourself, you need to just compose... Uh, different components. Uh, you have to have a large language model and you may need to tweak it and you need a vector database and you need um, to embed the uh, target um, documents or data that you're interested in. And you'd start, you'd, it sounds easy and, and a lot of people are starting to kind of build these demos by themselves and the demos looks great. But then uh, when you go to production with this, you face all sorts of problems uh, from um, performance and uh, and also quality, the quality of the results and reliability of results. So contextual answers is actually a box that includes all the components and it's optimized for question answering. And you give it a set of documents or knowledge base. The, the system gets a question and it, Um, generates an answer and the answer has to be based on the information um, or reason, reason, so to speak, on the information uh, that it was given. And if the information there does not exist, it will tell you, I don't know. Um, So it will not, it's optimized for not making up stuff. And uh, also once it generates an an answer, it will tell you where this is coming from. Why why did I why did I answer this? Uh, so kind of reflect the um, the reason or the source of information uh, of the answer. And this is a very typical uh, use case for a lot of companies: question answering, uh, grounded question answering. We build this contextual answer um, system that 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 basically very easily you can get just in a few few lines of code. You can get basically get to a place where we had you have that system up and running and um, um, optimized for that use case.
1: Okay, great. And now that third bucket.
2: So, yeah, so we discussed about the models and the platform where we serve the models and um, the application uh, we built called Virtune. We released it um, about three years ago, and um, it's a reading and writing um, assistant. Um, So, um, you can use it to summarize anything you read and, you know, ask questions about anything you read or, uh, write things like it will help you draft. It will help you ideate. It will help you rewrite. Um, and it's not delivered in a chat interface and that we did it deliberately because we haven't, we don't think chat interface is definitely the most optimal way to, uh, consume and 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 kind of produce information and so we so it re, it's really a suite of a reader and writer app and also um, an extension that is basically acting as a system that works wherever you go and it's a pretty pretty popular application it has a more than 10 so we, we launched it three three years ago and it already has more than 10 million users and it's continuously growing And it also has a very solid um, business model in place. So um, you have some daily quota of usage. And if you want to use the system intensively, you need to upgrade to the premium tier. And uh, it will keep evolving. We think there's a lot of room for uh, innovation in what we call AI experiences. Um, It's not just about the technology. And, and, you know, how to kind of improve the quality of the results is also how do you um, deliver it in a compelling and useful way for the customers. And, and that's something we we're putting a lot of emphasis from from the early days when we started a company, we put a lot of emphasis around.
1: Okay, great. Um, let, let, let's talk about um, use cases in the enterprise a bit more. Uh, you just uh, used that uh, that. Expressing that sentence a few minutes ago, which I I loved, uh, which is that the industry has gone from sporadic exploration to massive experimentation, I I believe you said, which is a a wonderful way of putting it. Um, From your perspective, as somebody who's in the trenches uh, every day, what what are some of the top use cases? And maybe um, talk about some of your customers and some of the case studies there.
2: Sure. So it's really across industries. And you know, from um, kind of cool startups to uh, uh, healthcare uh, companies. Um, and um, and it's really it's really diverse and interesting uh, ways of using these models. Um, I think I'm I'm most excited by just to, to see, how these are employed to uh, enhance productivity of, um, of, of knowledge workers, of, you know of all of us, basically. So we work with um, a few financial uh, institutions and they essentially are using these tools to um, um, make the information. so a lot of these uh, financial institutions have repositories of research, uh, huge repositories. Um, it could be millions of documents, and 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 then there are all sorts of uh, roles in the organizations that need access to that information, and um, and kind of typical search won't do it. Um, sometimes you have a question, and the, the information resides in cross, you know, many documents, and you need um, a system that can. Pull together all the pieces of information and stitch it, stitch it together into a co- coherent uh, and relevant uh, answer. And it is quite magical. I mean, you'd see, we've seen some of the analysts that uh, said, wow, this would take us uh, like three or four hours. Now, with this tool, we're doing it in just a couple of minutes. And we've never had a chance to. Because we haven't never had the chance to think about these specific keywords to search or these specific, you know, lens to look at it. Um, so we wouldn't have even reached that conclusion. And so I think it's, um, what makes me excited is that it's not just the productivity gains in terms of time, it's just the new possibilities it introduces, just a new access to information that wasn't there before. Um but also, of course, can be measured by um, by time, but time savings and and productivity. Um, the other thing, relatedly, is in you know in the medical space. Um, you know, think about uh, the, uh, drug discovery and all the research there. Uh, again, it just open up, opens up the um, unlock the opportunity to getting new insights uh, using these tools um, um, extract new information or or just deliver new information you can you can think of summarizing uh, information in a, in a particular way that is very useful for the researchers and analysts that um, just surfaces new types of insights so and again many many uh, types of use cases in many industries but, I'm most excited by the ones who just, you know, immediately click that you can even intuitively feel the value you don't, you you barely can, you need to measure it, it's just so obvious. Yeah, um, very exciting. Um, where,
1: where, where do you think we are in the, in the arc? So, you know, from a uh, sporting exploration to massive experimentation. So clearly what's next, hopefully for all of us who love this industry is, uh, you know, massive deployment at scale in production everywhere. Uh, but like wh- where are we are we, are, are we starting uh, you know at AI21 but like in, in general are we starting to see people actually deploy generative uh, AI uh, truly in the enterprise at some scale uh, and if if not when do you think that is coming
2: yeah I think so as I said we're now in the massive experimentation uh, phase I think some very early uh, deployments in production there are deployments but they're they're very small scale relatively to the amount of experimentation that is being done today. Um, I think in, in six months we'll see gradual rollouts to production for, um, for many use cases. And, um, and we'll also see people. In fact, we've seen it with a few of our customers um, and partners Um We'll, we'll also see this, this, this the issues the struggles the the problems that that um just from a very basic functionality perspective uh, we would need to face when you go to production when you start to uh, roll it out on a, on, a, on a massive scale um again costs and uh, resources are scarce and compute just computer resources are an, an issue today so how do you do? How do you deal with that? And um, the whole notion of reliability that we discussed, I think it's still it's still a challenge for many of these um, uh, deployments. So, um, so I think we'll see now kind of more. Um, we'll see, we'll see that the market is moving towards more maturity and going from demo to uh, demoware to production and in the next six months, <clears throat> and. And, and then the next phase of the, ne- the six months after, my assumption is that we'll see more and more, um, more rigorous um, um, types of measurement to understand the impact and the value of these use cases on their businesses. And um, so that's, I guess, the next, the next phase. And some of the use cases may not be economically viable, economically viable. Mm-hmm. And others, others surely will. Um, but we'll we'll get that better signal, and um, I think about a year from now. Um, so that's how I think about the various you know stages and phases of the of the market.
1: Great. Maybe maybe let's spend a couple of minutes on the, on go to market and distribution. So you alluded to um, you have a partnership with Google, uh, Google Cloud Marketplace. Uh, I also read that you have a BigQuery integration. I guess probably similar to what you did with with Snowflake, and then, then a partnership with Amazon. Uh, you know, li- listening to um, what you described uh, during this this conversation, that's that's a lot of surface area to to cover, right? You have like the core foundation models and then you have the applications and then you have the building blocks. Um, how, how do you go to market? Do you have a sales force? Do you uh, go bottom up using the word tune kind of um, consumer motion? How does it all work?
0: Yeah,
2: so uh, so we have a, we have a very, uh, you know, large footprint in the market and it keeps growing. So we definitely use it as a way uh, for us to drive the um enterprise motion but we also uh, uh so that's kind of a, a more organic or um, a bottom-up sort of uh motion uh, but we um you know we invest heavily in um extensively in the top down kind of more traditional um um high touch motion and um and our strategy is uh, we want to work closely with our partners uh we feel it's very it's highly synergistic and um uh to work with them towards just customer success we we're we're um we're not here to make flashy demos and um and hype uh we are we're here to bring real solutions for customers um and 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 I think the the way to go and way to scale would be through our um, our, our partner through our through the hyper you know the hyper scalers and um, the uh, system integrators and the, uh, software vendors. It's a whole ecosystem, and um, and that's kind of our uh, I would say the a key a key part of our, our go to market uh, strategy.
1: Great. All right. So to close, I'd love to um, maybe take a step back, uh, and uh, obviously, AI twenty one is a global company with global ambitions. At the same time, it was a company that was started in Israel, and um, I, I know that there is a tremendous interest in the Israeli AI ecosystem from uh, you know investors and operators, and you know myself included. Uh, to the extent that it's doable, I'd love um, for you to give us a quick tour of the ecosystem. Um, you, you know, what should we look up, uh, research, What, uh, who should we be familiar with in terms of companies or universities or researchers, um, you know, and or anything you're excited about in the ecosystem, any concern that you have. So whichever way you want to take it. But uh would love to be educated on the on the sort of one hundred one of the Israeli AI ecosystem.
2: Sure, I think I think generally speaking, Israel is just an amazing talent pool, uh, technical talent pool, um, very creative, very um, uh, you know chutzpah mentality, and um, and that serves us very well. I think if you look at you kind of. Uh, the, the, Israel tech ecosystem from a technological perspective, you see that it adopted many, many times and and very fast. Like, you know, back in the 90s, it was all about chips and hardware. And then thereafter, networking and telecommunications. And then it's just, it's it's making these transformation. And I think, you know, if you pinpoint right now, Israel is very well known for its cybersecurity talent. Very unique and good at cybersecurity, but we we are feeling that there is a you know a movement uh, towards um, the, the next wave, which is basically AI. And to be fair, there's also uh, an AI talent here for for a while now. There are a lot of uh, computer vision uh, companies. You know, Mobileye is a great example. Um, there, of course, there are other computer vision uh, companies here that was the, basically that were built in the last decade or so. Um, so uh, it's it's the, the DNA and the, the core you know the expertise in deep learning and so forth is, is definitely is definitely here. Another uh, kind of phenomena uh, that uh, I think people should be aware of is that you know when you looked at NLP research, there weren't a lot of NLP uh, research done in Israel, if, if you think like six six years ago. Now nowadays there's a lot, but six years ago there weren't many places uh, conducting kind of deep research in NLP, uh, and then there was a wave of um, great students that went to study in the States, you know, in the top universities and did their PhDs or their postdocs in the leading universities. And then in the last six years, they came back to Israel. And, you know, some of them are teaching in the leading universities, like uh, Hebrew U or Tel Aviv University or the Technion and others, of course. And um, and, and others uh, also kind of uh, blended into the industry, you know, in 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 various companies. So I think that and that, you know, that know how that they they they, they brought um, is really prop- propagated all, all all across. And when there's there's a new wave, Israelis really adopt themselves and study this uh, space very deeply. So I think the combination of Knowledge came, knowledge coming from you know universities and the uh, appetite to kind of get it into this new wave. We'll see. I think we'll just see massive talent in the AI in the AI space in the in the next couple of uh, next couple of years. Fascinating. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, that that feels like a wonderful uh, place to live. It. Uh, thank you so much, Ori, for spending time with us. Uh, this has been uh, super interesting. Uh, where can people find you online, learn more about you, learn more about the company?
2: dot um, 21com and uh, uh, at Ori uh, Goshen in Twitter. Uh, follow me, DM me. Uh, happy to chat. And, and thank you for having me. This was, uh, this was fun.
1: Absolutely. Very much, uh, very much appreciate. A lot of fun. Thank you, Ori. We'll see you next time. Bye.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us for the MAD podcast. We're back here every Wednesday with new conversations with leaders in the machine learning, AI, and data space. And if you like this show, you can also find a video recording of not only this episode, but many, many more over on the Data Driven NYC YouTube channel. Thanks again and catch you next week.